0: Hello and welcome to Rose DiVergilio's podcast. This podcast is produced and published for clients and friends of DiVergilio Benefit Resources. It is intended to bring you innovative discussions and topics along with industry news. It is not intended to provide legal, tax, or clinical advice. Hello and happy Friday. I have various topics to share with you that are going to be very interesting for all. Okay, so by now, most of you know that I have a thing for news and that I am passionate about researching healthcare and sharing various topics with you. Not only industry related news, but innovative news as well. So some of you have asked why I do what I do and how I remember it all. And that's a legit question, but let me share a little bit, uh, a little secret with you. I do not remember it all and some days I try not to (laughs) what I try to do is I try to understand the subject matter let me share a little bit of my background with you back in 1990 when I moved to the Binghamton area I came with an insurance background primarily a property and casualty background so naturally I found work here with a life insurance carrier. I later also worked for a health insurance carrier which really increased my desire to learn more about our healthcare system and I also worked for a local hospital. I held very minute roles with these employers. However, the individuals that interact that I interacted with along with my roles, however small they were, did inspire me to learn more. I knew that I wanted to pursue my desires to learn more about our healthcare system and study and interact freely without conflict or limitations. So I decided to go into business for myself as a licensed life and health insurance broker while I pursued these interests back in 2007. Even though I was licensed by the New York State Department of Financial Services as a life and health agent, I wanted to be able to give my clients more and the best guidance possible, and contribute to many of the complex conversations. So I enrolled in the American College of Financial Services to obtain my first insurance designation, the Chartered Healthcare Consultant which was taught by a very knowledgeable attorney in 2014 at the height of the Affordable Care Act introduction. And since a year does not go by without new government regulations, new or modified coverages, and new techniques for controlling benefit costs, I decided also to earn the Registered Employee Benefit Consultant designation. Earning the registered employee benefits consultant designation elevates your credibility as a professional. But I didn't stop there. I wanted to pursue other areas of the healthcare system. So I went on to earn a Micro-Masters in Healthcare Administration to be sure that I could further understand the subject matter a bit more from the provider's side. And when I am asked why I do what I do, I simply say, I am passionate about researching healthcare for a living, and I want to make a positive contribution to the conversation. And I enjoy meeting the individuals that I meet, and I am grateful for everyone here that has given me an opportunity to serve them. Thank you. Let's get started with this podcast. Okay, so Washington has been very busy these last couple of weeks with regulatory action that affects us as healthcare consumers, and will continue to be. And I am watching one topic, and I have an update on another topic. The one topic that I'm watching for you is CMS's final rules on the drug Algehelm and the Part B premiums. and whether they will reduce those. As you recall, uh, when the drug Algehelm was released and given the um, Food and Drugs Administration's uh, accelerated approval, it came to the market with a price tag of $56,000 annually. Uh, causing a lot of unknowns, and therefore CMS did increase the Part B premiums. Actually, the basic premium went from one fifty and cents to one seventy and cents. Uh, it was an actual increase of twenty one dollars and sixty cents to the basic premium, and that was historical. Uh, a historical increase. It's never gone up that much, uh, but it was based on you know, many of the unknowns and the price tag that that drug was put into the market with. But since then, uh, Biogen, the drug's manufacturer, has reduced that price by half to $28,200 annually. And CMS did put in restrictions um, only allowing the drug to be used by patients participating in clinical trials approved by CMS and NIH, the National Institutes for Health. So based on the price reduction of the drug and uh, the restrictions that the Center for Center for Medicare Services put in place uh, restricting the drugs to only patients participating in clinical trials, the um, Health and Human Services Secretary, Xavier Becerra, Uh, had asked or had instructed CMS to revisit that Part B increase. Um, And their decision is due on April 11th. So I will be keeping my eye on that for you. And I I am hopeful uh, that the Part B premiums will be partially reduced. Um, And that will be historical too. All right. My next topic is on telehealth. Okay, so last week, we saw a lot of great news in the world of telehealth. On March 15th, President Biden signed into law H.R. 2471, the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2022, which extends many of the Medicare telehealth flexibilities put into place during the COVID-19 pandemic, for a period following the end of the public health emergency of 151 days. So we can expect that for the rest of uh, 2022 that these telehealth flexibilities will remain in place, which is very good news because prior to the pandemic... um, Medicare had limited telehealth services, limiting geographic locations where they where it could be received and also limiting the type of practitioners that could offer these services. But this extension allows physical therapists, occupational therapists, speech therapists, and audiologists to provide telehealth services. Um, and there's been many reports highlighting the positive impact that this has had on the Medicare eligible population. So we're hoping that these uh, flexibilities will become permanent. All right, so the next topic that I wanna discuss with you is the new prescription drug and healthcare spending reporting requirements from a carrier and plan service provider that is going to be required supposedly uh, in December of 2022. Um, and we'll break this down. Um, I don't want you to panic because most of the responsibility is going to fall under the carrier. Uh, But they will have to coordinate with you to uh, get certain information from you and report it as a whole. Um, So let's take a look at this uh, new law that's making noise out there. And I'm sure you've gotten many briefs on. Uh, Let me break this down for you. Okay, so also under the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2021, uh, group health plans and health insurance issuers are required to submit certain information related to prescription, drug, and other health care spending to the Department of Labor, the Department of Health and Human Services, and the Department of Treasury, known as the departments. Uh, the departments published an interim final rule with requests for comments. And I believe the comment period ended on January 24th, 2022. Uh, But I don't want you to panic because most of the responsibility for the reporting, um, I believe is going to fall under the issuer. So that would be the carrier. Because most small groups do not have any information uh, as far as uh, prescription drug uh, data or healthcare spending. You don't because you're community rated. Okay. Uh, but the carriers may have to coordinate with you um, to pull data such as employee premium contributions. Um, this is also required under this report. And uh, they're extending uh, the beginning of this reporting to december 27th 2022 however uh no form has been issued and the final rules have not been issued so um we are still waiting for more guidance from the departments and also the carriers so i don't want you to panic i know a lot of briefings have put been put out on this but it's uh, mostly noise uh you know to get your attention um so given the nature of the rule, and that the departments have requested comments on the uh, interim final rules, the requirements of the IFR are subject to change. So. Uh, these, uh, you know, this conversation could change as we go along, but I will definitely keep you informed. And uh, carriers may be reaching out to small groups, you know, collecting this data. So it's very important that you open every piece of mail. And if you have any questions to, to, you know, ask me, I am here to help you with that. But I will keep you informed. Okay, now on to the fun part. this podcast. I wanted to share with you uh, some scientific research on brain reading, uh, which I felt was very uh, interesting. It's astonishing. And I also wanted to share with you information on therapeutic video games. Let's let's take a look. Okay, so the best part of this podcast, my favorite part that I want to share with you is an article that came across my desk from a health blog that I follow, Morning uh, Rounds by STAT. And this article was written by Megana Kashevin, And it highlights a German scientist who has done research on brain reading. And he has now published a study in Nature's Communication that builds upon his prior discredited work, Um, it shows how a device implanted in the brain of a 34-year-old man with locked-in syndrome on a ventilator, paralyzed and unable to even move his eyes, could help him communicate in full sentences. Um, So once tarnished scientist um, Niels Burbomer, Okay, Uh, once a prominent neuroscientist in Germany fell hard from his pedestal three years ago, accused of scientific misconduct for his quote unquote, brain reading research. He was stripped of funding and fired. His work showing people paralyzed with ALS could communicate with a brain-computer interface was retracted from PLOS Biology, and that's P-L-O-S Biology, uh, which is a peer-reviewed uh, scientific journal that comes out monthly. Now, Burr-Bomber, um, who has fiercely defended his previous research, has a new study in Nature's Communications, which I will provide you the link to, that builds upon his prior discredited work. It shows, again, how a device implanted in the brain of a 34-year-old man with locked-in syndrome on a ventilator, paralyzed and unable to even move his eyes, could help him communicate in full sentences. Um, I, I think that's astonishing. Burr Bomber said the research is about more than his reputation. Uh, Quote, unquote, we do these things because we want these people to be alive, even if society doesn't want them to be. This is a great uh, article. Uh, It just gives us a positive outlook uh, on uh, how scientists like Burr Bomber, who do not give up, could help these individuals so I will share these links with you Um, take a look at the study in nature's communication Uh, it's very interesting and again this is astonishing okay so the next interesting topic takes us to the world of video games and uh, we will be discussing therapeutic video games Um, In a previous podcast, I had recommended the game Wordle, and many of you shared that you were playing it daily and enjoying it. And prior to the pandemic, I might not have believed that playing a game could have such a therapeutic effect, uh, as I preferred reading a good book to escape or walking uh, with my dog to relieve stress. However, I am now a believer... It seems that there are many people finding solace in playing video games, and that is what DeepWell is hoping for. Uh, The company is the brainchild of medical devices executive Ryan Douglas and veteran game publisher Mike Wilson who are assembling a team from respective fields to push the health benefits of playing certain games. The two are teaming up to bring video games to the market as a form of therapeutic treatment for anxiety, depression, and hypertension, with complete FDA approval as an over-the-counter treatment. According to their site, the team isn't revealing any projects yet, but Wilson shared that its first game set for the first quarter of 2023 and developed with an outside team will be designed to treat mild to moderate depression, anxiety, and hypertension. Um, Today, There is only one FDA authorized game for ADHD and that is Endeavor RX. Uh, This was approved in June of 2020. Endeavor RX was the first and only doctor prescribed video game uh, treatment for kids with ADHD. And it is intended to be used as a part of a therapeutic program and, of course, not a standalone therapeutic or substitute for ADHD medication. Um, Another game that I like, um, that I would like to mention, is one that my 90-year-old mother likes to play, and that is called Lumosity and it's spelled l u m o s i t y it is a memory building game and daily exercise for your mind it really holds your attention and it's for all ages but i believe this one helps with uh, staving off dementia and memory loss Um, so i'll keep watching for the potential of video games that are released with fda approval I know that Deep Well will help a lot of people feel well and better. Um, and if you're not a fan of video games, you can always try Medical Monopoly by Professional Games Incorporated. It's a fun board game uh, that involves a bit of trivia, so I think you'll find that interesting. Um, so. That is all the news that I have for you. I do have a reminder for you uh, that we are going into the end of the first quarter. So if you are enrolled in a Medicare Advantage plan, you want to make sure that you take advantage of the over-the-counter uh, product rebate that they give you or uh, benefit. You want to make sure that it does not expire. Some plans give you a $30 over-the-counter product rebate and others uh, give you a $45. It differs from plan to plan. But you want to make sure that it does not expire because it does not roll over. So just a reminder on that. Okay, everyone, I will catch you next time. Thank you for listening and stay well and play well.